Amen. Give God one more shout of praise. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. Gosh, that worship is so good. I hope you are excited to be at church this week and want to welcome our churches all across the state of Tennessee. God behind bars, if you're watching live or later, God is just so good to us. We're entering to an exciting time in life for our church. This is hard for the harvest season. And if you've been here, if you're new here, or if you've been here ever since we started Heart for the Harvest, it really is a thrilling time at our church. Heart for the Harvest is a season where we stop and reflect on what God has done and relaunch afresh into what God has called us to do as a church. And really more than a church, a movement that is called to win the world to Jesus. And there's not a higher call than that. Remember, the vision that God's given our church, we exist to win the world by equipping Christ followers. That's you and me to win our world, starting with 1%. Of Tennessee. That's who God has designed us in this church to be. Now, this weekend, I have a very specific and personal revelation to share with you from God. But before we get into that, I want to take a moment and really outline specifically what the Heart for the Harvest season is, whether you're new or just need a reminder. Heart for the Harvest is a time where we reflect on our God given vision and hold ourselves accountable to being on the way to accomplish it. We don't just have a vision because it sounds good. It is a goal that God has called us to accomplish and to go after. Now, this next part is very important, and I'll repeat it a couple times because I want to make sure that we walk away with ownership this weekend. God sets the vision for his church, and this is not my church. This is not your church. This is God's church that he has lovingly allowed us to be a part of. God sets the vision for his church, but we get to set the speed of the vision. We get to set the speed of the vision. That's a big deal. God sets a vision for his church, but we get to set the speed. Now, what does that mean? God, through his word, has given us a clear vision to win the world. Now, listen, and, and God has not changed. It's been his plan since the beginning. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. With our hardships, with our vision, that's just who he is. But how quickly that vision of heaven coming to earth becomes a reality is based on our obedience with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. So it's a big deal that we are obedient to what the Holy Spirit calls us to. Now something we see God use all throughout the Bible to reset his people, us, on the vision of winning the world is something called a free will offering. Because we all get distracted. So something God uses are free will offerings. We see them in the Old Testament. That's before Jesus came to earth. And they would use them in the Old Testament to build the temple. So people would come and worship God and make sacrifices together. We also see them in the New Testament. That's after Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and started his church. And we use, or they use free will offerings in the New Testament the same way we use them now to plant churches and to help people who are in need. Now, in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul. Now, Paul, well, he, he did exactly that. He planted churches. He helped people who were in need. And he actually wrote 13 books we have in our New Testament. And he is preparing a church in a city called Corinth. So if you read your New Testament, there's two books in there called First and Second Corinthians. Those are letters that he wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, he writes them a letter 
preparing them for a free will offering, which is what we do during Heart for the Harvest. But I want us to see that this is biblical. This is something that God has used really for, for since, since the beginning, okay? And he wanted the church in Corinth, just like what we want to do, he wanted them to continue the work of winning the world. That's what the free will offering was for. And we see in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 and 2. Now, I've added some parentheses to help us know what he's talking about. I just want to make sure we don't think I'm adding things to Scripture, okay? The Lord has some pretty significant consequences for that. I just want us to see what he's talking about. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this. There is no need for me to write to you about this service. Now, when he says service, he's talking about the free will offering, that free will offering to the Lord's people, so to people in other churches. Now, listen to how he talks about giving. For I know your eagerness to help. They're eager to give and to help. And, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them since last year that you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. Now, I just want to pause for a second. Usually in, in church, when, it, when money comes up, there's a saying, people get funny when you talk about money, right? And so I just want to stop for a second. It's not always like that. Have you ever been so excited to give a present? I, 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 love, I love giving my wife. Last year, I, guys, I'm about to blow it for you, but you still have time. My wife makes an Amazon wish list, okay? And, and I, it's, it's actually a really awesome thing. She, she makes a wish list, and she feels like she gets, like, the high of buying by putting on the wish list, which is awesome for me, right? But she, so last year, right, it was, it was a hard year for us last year, so I decided to do 21 days of Christmas for Rachel where I went on her wish list, and I would just, and there, it's, it's, a lot of times it's little stuff. It averaged, like, $15 or something like that. So I would go on there and buy her something little, and she had something little to open for 21 days. There's some Women writing notes down right now for the first time ever in church. Congratulations, okay? So, uh, but hey, and you know what? Every night when mom got to open her presents, we'd all come in there, we're all excited in the kitchen, like, did I get a present? And I said, no. And they were like, why? And I said, I like her more. And then you guys are going to bed and it's game time. Either way, we, we like to give gifts. If you're excited, this enthusiasm. And the enthusiasm that I had, it impacted the kids. They wanted to see mom get her present. They, it stirred them. It, it creates this generosity momentum, right? But these people in Corinth had seen such a transformation in their lives that they were ready and excited to give a free will offering if it meant that other people could experience Jesus in their lives and in their communities. They were excited. And this is us at Faith Promise. We're excited. We're blown away that Jesus has called us not just to be a part of his kingdom, but to help us build it. I don't know about you. I know me. And I am blown away. Is anybody else excited that we get to build the kingdom of God and plant churches and send missionaries? That's amazing. I'm just thrilled that God would allow us to be a part. Now, the reason the Bible talks so much about money and free will offerings is because God knows that the devil knows the principle we've already mentioned. That God sets the vision of his church, which is to win the world to Jesus. But we set the speed of that vision through our obedience. And the devil, the enemy, knows that. And he is desperate to distract us from what is most important in our life, which is winning the world to Jesus. 
which actually leads to the burden that I, I told you that God laid on my heart for our church, this burden that we need today. I really do believe, and I don't believe I know, that our church is under spiritual attack. And not just under spiritual attack, we're under spiritual attack in a way that we're not guarding against. Now, I'm not a big self-defense person, right? But I know enough to know if you're being attacked in a way you are not defending, you're in trouble, right? I think that's, we could all agree on that principle. I wanna walk you through this revelation and I know that I know that God has the right people at Faith Promise this weekend to hear this revelation and to fight back against what the enemy is doing. Now, recently, we made a transition in leadership at Faith Promise from Pastor Chris or Dr. Dad or Dr. Big Daddy, whatever you may know him as, to me as the senior pastor of Faith Promise, which means that something ended. Now, endings are not always bad, but they can be hard because they change our lives, and that can be challenging. So Dad has been the senior pastor of Faith Promise for 27 years. I mean, that's a big ending, right? And pastoral leadership is very personal. So things ended for me, too. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Things ended for me in the transition as well. Again, it's not always bad, but when something ends, it just it changes our life. If Dad was the only pastor that you ever had or if your life was transformed here and there's something changes, it's hard. Did you get an upgrade? Absolutely. A hundred percent you did, right? The Lord has blessed, all right? But, <laughs> amen, all right? One amen, but I'll take it, all right? So, um, but this leads us to what's next. So, l- listen, with, most of the time when there's an end, there is a new So we have a new leader, we have new language, we have new focus, and a lot of times, even if the new is good or even better, it can be a challenge because it's new. It's new, we're not quite sure how everything works. Now, now here's where really the beginning of the revelation happened for me. Me and dad, we, we worked so hard and we prayed so hard and we had faith and planning and communication. And because we did all that, we thought we would step pretty seamlessly from the end to the new. And we knew it would be hard and there'd be some stuff going on, but, but we thought we, we had a three-year plan. We worked and we, we had the elders involved. We really did all that we knew to do. But as I continued studying transitions, which I do that to not to live in the past, but to serve God and to serve you well, I realized that just wasn't the case. I was studying uh, something called the Bridges Model of Transition and learned about the wilderness, the wilderness middle. Now, anytime there's a transition from an end to a new, there is a wilderness middle, even if the new is something amazing. Like a great example is having babies. Having babies is unbelievable. But when you decide to have kids, there are some things that end. You know, you're not going to stay up as late as you want or go out as late as you want anymore. Sleep through the night for a season ends. Uh, Sitting on the toilet without somebody banging on the door, sticking their fingers up under the thing, all that stuff ends, at least for a season, right? One of the most peaceful, either way, I'll I'll go any further. There's some things that end. Is it worth it? Yes. However, if you are not prepared for the wilderness middle, you can die there. And there's a lot of families, even something as special as having kids, a lot of families fall apart there. Intimacy dies. The joy is lost when it doesn't have to be. If we as families, we as individuals, we as a church prepare for the wilderness middle. 
And I would suggest the wilderness middle can be even harder to prepare for and detect when it comes to spiritual matters. Because if we're not careful, we won't see it. We won't feel it. But the devil is desperate to keep us distracted, for us to miss the spiritual wilderness middle. There's a great example of this in people in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's a group of people who were God's people called the Israelites. And they were slaves in Egypt. And they were forced into hard labor and even harder conditions. For example, Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, he saw the Israelites growing and getting stronger. And to stop that, he decides he's just going to kill the babies. All the baby boys, he's just going to kill them. I'm telling you, the, the oppression and the abuse that these people, the Israelites were under was unbelievable. But God, in his grace, God ends their slavery and offers them something new in the promised land. Offers them freedom and new in the promised land. But this is, this is also a huge principle that may be one of the biggest takeaways for you today. Even though God brought the people out of slavery, it took longer to get the slavery out of the people. They may have been free physically, but mentally and spiritually, they still saw themselves as slaves. I'm talking about the powerful name of Jesus. They doubted that they could do what God had called them to. They doubted that God could bring them into freedom. They doubted the promises of the promised land, which led them to walk through the wilderness even longer than they had to walk through the wilderness. But listen, I, we got to get this. The wilderness, in the wilderness, the enemy attacks them and he attacks us with doubt, with distraction, and with dismay. I'm telling you, this is the place where he comes at us. Just, just, just think about this. The Israelites left that slavery. They're, they're on the way to the promised land. They have doubt, so it extends their stay. And this is what they say in Numbers 11, 4 and 5. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Now listen, I love, I love a good steak. A good steak would make me maybe, you know, look around a little bit. Fish, salad, it ain't happening, okay? There's just no way. But, but seriously, in the wilderness, the devil such a good, does such a good job of distracting us, of disillusioning us, that the Israelites longed for Egypt. They're like the one good thing about it, they start to long back for it. Forget about the slavery and the abuse and the genocide of their babies. This is huge. I believe this is what the enemy is trying to do to us in a lot of ways. Maybe an example. Maybe you had the end of, of you being a slave to sin, and you gave your life to Christ, which is amazing. And that led to the new of Jesus' salvation and a relationship with Jesus, a love and a calling that no one could ever take from you. But the wilderness middle of you growing as a new creation, a son or a daughter, made you, the enemy started to make you think, well, maybe it was easier not to put other people before myself. And it was easier not to share my faith. And it was easier... Not important to give 10% of my income to the church. And it's easier to have the freedom to do those old since the enemy makes us long for the ending when the new is so much better. Listen, the devil is a master of mirage to keep us in the wilderness. And things do not flourish in the wilderness. Most things can't even survive in the wilderness. 
But Jesus' plan for you is that you flourish. Remember what Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief, that's the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, that's what Jesus said. I have come that they, that's you, may have life and have it to the full. So what's the revelation for our church? What's the revelation for us right now? What is the burden that God has put so heavy on my heart? The devil is attacking our church. And listen, there's way more spiritual warfare in your life, your life, than we have focused on. During the transition from dad to me, there's a lot of focus on the shepherd, a lot of focus on the vision and where we're going. But the devil has been leaving that alone, and he's been going around and attacking you, the people, because you are where the ministry happens. You are where the kingdom is multiplied Monday through Saturday. It's you. And listen, I do. I pray for you every day. I intercede for you. But I did not prepare you well enough for the spiritual warfare that would be coming your way during this wilderness middle transition season of our church. And it's been a sneak attack. It's been an ambush. And the reason it's been that way is because maybe you didn't even realize it was spiritual warfare. Maybe it just felt like busyness. So I, I can't come to church as often because we're busy. Or, oh, man, it's a stressful season right now, so we're, we're not going to be able to serve right now. Or, or because of the economy and inflation, the budget's a little bit tight, so we're not going to be able to give right now. Or somebody hurt my feelings because they said this or that, so I'm going to pull away from my eternal-focused relationships. These are all little mirages that they, and now are they real yes do they matter yes but they're mirages to get our mind off of the new and into the middle because he would love us to stay live in the middle and never get to the new of winning our world because that's what God's called us to do Listen, God is doing something at Faith Promise that is unique and it is special. I call with churches, I call with leaders, and they say, hey, we don't know of any churches that, that their main focus isn't just getting people to come, but it's sending people out. Like God is doing something so special and the devil hates it. And he sees this is his chance to derail it. I'm telling you, this is his chance to attack you and to attack me and to get us off the vision of winning the world so that we won't not only, number one, live this culture out and see revival across East Tennessee and across Tennessee, but also so that we won't share this culture with the church at large, the big C church, and share that. He is desperate that that doesn't happen, but we found him out. We know his plan. And listen, and, and you know what? His plan to slowly distract you and pull you away from church, your family, your calling, your ministry of winning your world at your school and at your workplace. And I'm not telling you that he's going to quit. Actually, I believe now that we've called him out, the spiritual attack will, it will grow, but you'll see it. And no matter where you find yourself in this wilderness middle, this trend, and you may think, Zach, golly bum, it's you and your dad. Why are we attacked? You are the church. And, and the devil knows what's coming. And if he can get you out of the church, he's won. But we can't let that happen. So I'm telling you, no matter where you find yourself right now in the wilderness middle, you're okay. If you're like, Zach, brother, I'm barely hanging on to my faith. I'm so close over here to the end. Hey, guess what? Our God is the same yesterday, today, and, if, and forever. 
Victorians. Amen. Can we give God some praise for that? But can I be really transparent with you? Because you may think, God, Zach, you're way over here in the new, brother. You're the senior pastor. This is all going real well. Now, I would tell you the only person over here is dad, okay? And your boy's been over here for like 30 years, okay? Um, I would seriously say, I'm, I'm right here. I'm fighting my way over there. The devil's attacking my identity. And he's attacking my calling. And he's attacking my confidence. But can I tell you? With this recent revelation of the reality of eternity, with this revelation that the devil is coming after you and attacking your kids and attacking your wives and your husbands and your families and your calling, God, it's just so pushed me this way. I tell you what keeps us in the wilderness middle is being so concerned with ourselves and so consumed with our comfort, and that is the wilderness. The wilderness is just being about you. But your life isn't about you. Amen? That's not who we are, faith promise. This is the time to double down on the vision. You see what's happened to Israel. You see what's happened in politics. You see what's happened in our schools and on social media. There's never been a better time to double down on the vision and be the light to win the world. This isn't just for our church. This isn't just for the thousands and thousands of churches that will take this culture and implement it and see a culture of personal evangelism. This is first and foremost about plundering hell and populating heaven, about walking through schools, middle schools, high schools, about walking through workplaces and neighborhoods and football games and seeing heaven and hell. Not opposing teams, opposing political views, opposing fitness. No, that's not what it's about. It's about eternity. Somebody's got to live for it, and it will be us. I pray that every generation at Faith Promise would be what I'm calling a Caleb. A Caleb. Listen, in the Israelites, whenever everybody else, listen, there was a whole generation that never got over the wilderness, and guess what? They died there. They never saw the new. I'm telling you, it'll be hell at Faith Promise. If you were to live in the wilderness, it's not, it's, it's, I, I, I don't want to be there. I don't think you do either. We'll be held accountable one day for what we did for the new that we were given. And we're going to, we're going to daggum change the world. But Caleb, whenever all these people were dying in the wilderness, Caleb says this. Caleb was one of the Israelites, one of two that believed. And Caleb silenced the people and he said to Moses, we should go up and take possession of it. That's the promised land, for we can certainly do it. Did he say that because he was a superhero? Did he say that because he had all the answers? Absolutely not. He said that because it was called the promised land because God has promised it to them. Do I know that we'll have every answer for Gen Z or Alpha about Jesus? We won't have the answers, but I'm telling you, God will provide the answers because he's called us to win our world, he wouldn't bring us to something he wouldn't bring us through. So I pray that every from, from sixth grader to senior citizen sitting in here this weekend, that we would be Caleb's, that we would say, let's go, let's win the world. But we have to remember, God set the vision for his church, but we get the honor, the privilege, not the obligation, but the celebration to set the speed of that vision. And I believe it's about to go into overdrive. What a great time 
to draw, put a stake in the sand during Heart for the Harvest and say, Lord, let me see the spiritual warfare. Lord, let me be generous towards winning the world. Let's take a moment and watch some people who are committed to the vision and to being generous in Heart for the Harvest. Thank you so much for coming and just discussing a little bit about faith and giving today. So let's begin by you all telling me a little bit about yourselves and your connection to the church. Eli? I'm Eli Freeman. I, um, I'm a sophomore in college. I've been coming to Faith Promise since I was in third grade, so I've really grown up here. And uh, my role right now is that I'm leading a small group for young adult men. My name is Raven. I have been attending Faith Promise ever since 2018. Um, I began attending after I was going through a divorce, and it was just my attempt to have a fresh start um, and to just rebuild my life. And I've been attending ever since, and I love it. And now I am a small group pastor for sixth grade girls. So my name is Daniel Newton. This is my wife, Christy. Uh, we've been attending Faith Promise for 12 years now. We're very committed to the vision of the church. What was the process for you when you first began thinking about giving at Faith Promise Church? So Pastor Chris dared me, okay? Um, when that I happened. <laughs> yes. So when I first started to attend Faith Promise, the first service that I sat in on, he just talked about how we will always need more. There will never be a time where we don't need more. And so at the end of his sermon, he tied it into giving. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I challenge you to give your tithe for 90 days. And if you give your tithe in 90 days and you don't feel God move in your life, I'll give you your money back. And I was like, well, okay, yeah, it's worth the risk. <laughs> yeah. So I tried it out, even when I didn't feel like I had it, even when I could think of something I could do more with the money, I gave and I really felt God move throughout that time. Um, and I feel like I have really seen the way that God can sustain you when you do give. Mm -hmm. And so now it's not an option. It's not something where I'm like, okay, well maybe I can put it off. No, I'm, I'm like, I'm past those 90 days. There's a no money back guarantee anymore. I'm bought in on it. <laughs> That's so good. What about you, Eli? Well, for me, thankfully, growing up, I had some pretty good role models of what it looked like to give faithfully. And my grandparents and my parents, as a kid, they were always teaching me uh, the importance of generosity. And I remember they would tell me that everything we have is provided by God. So whenever I turned 16 and I got my first job, um, that first paycheck that came through, I just started tithing just because I knew that's what I was supposed to do. And I've been tithing ever since. I think for us, for me anyway, I'm always trying to model for my kids, you know, kind of do what your parents did for you, because um, it's contagious. Mm -hmm. Like when you start doing that, the feeling that you get from it is, is pretty amazing. So yeah. I think we would all agree, it feels so much better to be the person doing the giving than the receiving. And it's not a selfish feeling of like, I want to feel good for me, mm -hmm. but it just happens to be a byproduct of like, if you are generous and give in whatever capacity that looks like, it feels good. Mm-hmm, that's right. Something that really made me a cheerful giver. I was already becoming a faithful giver mm -hmm. after I invested those 90 days. But it was actually something that happened after I shared my giving story. There was a church member that was so moved by my giving story that she decided to give me $8,000, okay? She decided to give me $8,000 because in my giving story, I talked about how I really hoped to one day be able to buy my girls a home. 
my girls and I had like a dance party mm -hmm. in the middle of our house. And it was not because of the money. And that was really what shocked me because that made me think to myself, God loves me so much that he can put me on the mind of a stranger. Right. And he sees what I'm doing with what he's given me. And he's letting me know my word is true. You keep doing what I've asked you to do, and I'm going to keep taking care of the rest. You know, Heart for the Harvest means so much for our church. What does Heart for the Harvest mean for you all? Heart for the Harvest is really important to me. Last year was my first Heart for the Harvest where I really wanted to give intentionally and pray about what I wanted to give instead of just choosing something at random. Also around last year at this time, I was really heavy into collecting shoes and not just like $100 pairs of sneakers, but really expensive sneakers. And I just remember I was doing my quiet time one day and I kind of felt led to sell my most expensive pair in my collection and give all that money for the heart for the harvest. I just remember thinking to myself, I was like, I don't know if God's really saying that. That's probably just me. <laughs> and I was, I, have, I was having all these doubts because I was trying to find an excuse right. for myself to be able to keep the shoes because I like them so much. But I remember I was driving to work a Saturday morning at 5.30 in the morning, so nobody else was out on the road. And I tested God, which I know you're not supposed to do, but I said, God, if you want me to give those shoes for a heart for the harvest, let a red truck come around that corner right now. 5.30 in the morning, nobody else is out on the roads, and I just see headlights come by me. I was like, no way, that's a red truck. And as it passes me, it was a red truck, and I was like, okay, God, I get it. You want me to give those shoes? And so as soon as I got off the clock, I went home, sold them on eBay, gave awesome, them, and I have no regrets about it. So Heart for the Harvest for me, honestly, I remember when I first heard about it, I was pretty intimidated by it. I was hearing about all of the extravagant amounts of money that people had given and things like that. And I was like, I don't have a boat to give. Mm -hmm. I don't have $10,000 to give. Lord, what do you right. want to do so with this that I have? Now, the first time that we heard Heart for the Harvest, I too, I was a little intimidated. I'm like, this is huge, mm -hmm. you know? And then he started talking about fasting, started talking about miracles mm -hmm. and all this. And I'm like, I don't know where I'm at, but this is this is really big, you know. Yeah. And our daughter was actually going through something at the, at the time, and and we had tried everything. We had taken her to every doctor, everything, and I was at my wit's end. I, I'd never fasted before, ever. Didn't really understand the whole concept of it, and I thought, okay, mm. I'm gonna try this out. You know what I mean? And it was probably week two, and she was completely healed. And is Praise still God. healed from that for, to, from this day. So God. when I think about our first Heart for the Harvest, that's what I think about. Wow. You know, the mission of the church, we're here to win lost people. I mean, Sweet. we live in a super dark world right now, and people need Jesus so much right now. Our church is positioning itself to reach lost people. That's right. And this is all just part of that. It truly is a God-sized vision. Thank you so much for joining and discussing this with me today. And we look forward to Heart for the Harvest. In this moment, I want to ask you to follow Eli, sophomore in college. And I've said this before, and I believe it. I'm, I'm great to follow our students into revival. Follow student, uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students into revival on their campuses. And, and to be there and just, and I'm, I'm great for that. But really practically in this moment, whenever Eli, whenever he said he saw that red truck, 
what he was doing that's important is he had his mind and his eyes on the kingdom. And so what I want to ask you to do right now as we have some time and this week, would you put your eyes on the kingdom? And I want to ask you to ask God two questions. What do you want me to do and what do you want me to give? What do you want me to do and what do you want? This is not about me. You're not responsible to me, but you are responsible to God. I want to ask you to take some time and listen and be obedient. God, what would you have me do? And in this time of Heart for the Harvest where we give over and above our normal offerings so that we can plant more churches and send more missionaries and impact more people and win the world, what would you have me give? Let's take some time and pray together right now. All of our churches, would you stand and let's pray together. God, we come before you right now in, in a preparation to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak clearly that we wouldn't miss it. And Holy Spirit, we're asking you specifically, what would you have us do in this spiritual warfare that we're calling out, in this distraction that we're calling out, what would you have us do? And in this time of Heart for the Harvest where we give towards the future and church planning and everything else that you want us to do to win our world, what would you have us give? And God, whatever, I just want to declare it, whatever you say, we will obey. Whatever you say, we will obey. Because God, it's in your name that we live. And in your name that we pray, amen.